Good morning. It really is a delight to be back here with you. I want to share with you uh, a gift that I received this morning. They say that the reward for not killing your own children is grandchildren. And uh, I, am, I am greatly rewarded. Yeah, what a great day. You know, the family holidays are a mixed bag of sorts. I learned through the years pastoring that for many people we look forward to Mother's Day, Father's Day, those great gatherings and all. And yet... Um, Invariably, there's uh, a, a few or some in our midst that the um, world around them recognizing something that's maybe been painful in their life in the past uh, makes those days difficult. I was always curious to see that on Mother's Day, which, by the way, is the second highest attended Sunday in America in church, more people go to church on Mother's Day than any other day except Christmas. And I think that's because uh, moms have a way of turning those screws and saying, you know, if you want to do something for me for Mother's Day, come to church and be grateful for moms that do that. Uh, Growing up, Father's Day, I always kind of wondered why is it that moms get it so good on Mother's Day, but it always felt like dads got beat up on Father's Day. and I don't know if maybe because of the higher demands and expectations of what a dad ought to be was always intimidating to me. But um, I want to uh, offer uh, words this morning of, of encouragement and joy. And, and if for some reason uh, this issue of Father's Day causes you some remembrance of discomfort or pain, uh, just know that our eyes are on the, the Father who sets the standards and who lives up to those standards and who uh, is, is eternally faithful, and we're grateful for that. Turn your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. I have kind of a, a different kind of message for you this morning than, than my normal rhythm of, of things. It kind of grows out of um, just over three years ago, my uh, father died, and uh, he was 99, and we were pulling for 100, and uh, because he was in really good shape up until uh, the weekend, he had a stroke that took him uh, home. Um, he never was in a nursing home, never missed a day of church because of health, and uh, was just a, a solid, strong uh, man. When he, when he died, I had a, um, a challenging uh, experience in that uh, in my family, my, my dad's first wife, who uh, with her, they have three children. Uh, She died when they were in their early teens. And then uh, my dad married my mom and had um, uh, four more children. And so I'm in the middle. Um, I've got three older, three younger, two older brothers, two younger brothers, one older sister, one younger sister, and I'm kind of the hinge in our, in our family in that um, 
When I was born, my older siblings were living at home. By the time my younger siblings came along, all of them had moved out. And so my older siblings, I remember living with them, and my younger siblings, of course. Uh, And when it came time to um, deal with my father's funeral and and, uh, memorial service, uh, my desire was to simply be a son. I didn't want to be the preacher. I wanted to go and sit with my family and cry with my family and remember my dad and and have someone else with better clarity than I had at the moment to deliver the words of comfort and the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when we got to Florida, my siblings, older and younger, both came to me and said, uh, and and by the way, they, they don't call me O or Otis, they call me Junior. And they all said, Junior, you've got to do it. And I said, I don't want to do it. I'm I'm a son today, not the minister pastor. Uh, I left my prayers R Us cards at home, and uh, I simply want to attend with you guys. And they said, no, we can't imagine some stranger that we don't know standing up there. Uh, you need to do it. And so I said, okay, Lord, give me strength. And kicked into my mode of preparing for a funeral and did the things that I've learned to do, to find stories and to hear people's grief and to out of that depend on the Holy Spirit to help me weave together a message that is relevant and not just some kind of canned thing that you pull out for funerals. And um, went to my younger brothers and sister and, and asked them, what are the memories you have of dad? And they just came just over and over, so many memories. Went to my older siblings and I said, you know, what kind of memories do you have as kids uh, when dad, when you were young? And all of my older siblings says, uh, you know, I don't really have any stories. Um, I'd rather not talk about it. And uh, to understand that, you have to realize that my dad accepted Christ nine months before I was born. And so all I have known is a man growing in Christ. My older siblings knew a different man. A man that when they do um, press and and tell stories, they're not happy stories. They're they're painful stories. They're hard stories. They're they're stories of discomfort. And um, so as I'm thinking through, Lord, how do I how do I minister to my family and my whole family, not just my younger siblings that we have such great rich memories of a of a dad growing in the Lord and and always faithful in church and faithful in prayer and and a, a man of the Word of God, like few that I've known. And and yet my older siblings, who their stories are stories of uh, difficulty and pain and, and substance abuse and and um, crazy backwoods mythology of, of goofiness and things like that. And and I remember driving uh, from Orlando to Lakeland. My, my dad passed in Lakeland, and we gathered the whole family there. And on the road, I'm praying, Lord... What's the word for my family? And one of those times, very clearly, the Lord spoke to me and he said, um, share with them the parable of the seeds and the soils. And I thought, the seeds and the soils, how has that got anything to do with my dad? It just didn't seem right. But I started chewing on it. I started praying about it. And the Holy Spirit led me to a, a revelation personally and for that day and since then has, has, 
has become something that uh, I find very helpful and um, provocative in my own faith. We typically hear the story of the seed in the soils, and we focus on the condition of the soils and how that we need to protect the soil and weed out the soil and get rid of the stones so the soil can receive the seed. And the Spirit of the Lord said to me as I was wrestling with that, there are different kinds of seed for different seasons. I said, what does that mean? The seed is the word of the Lord. And it came upon me that in the parable that Jesus told in his original version of it, uh, the seed is an annual. It's planted and it's harvested that year. Um, And it has one purpose for that season's harvest. And they take the seed and protect it till the next season and plant it again. And it's good for one season. But there are seeds that uh, take many seasons to come to their full impact, Uh, like an acorn, um, that uh, the seed that's first planted is extremely different 100 years later. But not only is it different, but because of its life, it amends the very soil that it was in. And the Spirit said to me, that's the story of your dad. And I said to my family, especially to my older siblings that were um, wrestling with a lot of old memories that they wish they didn't have. I said to them all, I said, you know, those of us who are the second litter don't know dad before he came to Christ. But the things that I have heard about that is that those were difficult times. And that in fact, I would say that When the seed of the gospel came to my dad, he was not good soil. He was poor soil. But for some reason, his faith and God's grace, my dad hung on to the seed. No matter what else was going on, no matter how many other confusing things had gone on in his life, he hung on to the word of God. And slowly, season after season, not only did the seed grow and bear fruit, the soil that held the seed was amended and changed as well. Every year that leaves fell from that tree, the soil was amended a little more. Every time a bird landed in that tree and left a little gift for the soil, it was amended a little bit more. And over the years, that soil was radically different than it was when it started. I say all that as a foundation that it's terribly important that we become stewards of our memories instead of being victims of them. Some people, in the name of, quote, keeping it real, uh, cherish memories that do them harm rather than manage memories. You know, you and I have the ability to manage memories. God manages memories. In the book of Hebrews, several occasions, he said, I will remember their sins no more. So God makes choices about what he will remember and what he won't. Thank God. I'm glad he doesn't remember a lot of things that I still have a hard time shaking my memory of. But when the Lord looks at me, he looks at me through the shed blood of Jesus and God's great grace and doesn't see that anymore. And so I can be encouraged by that. I can be healed by that. 
In Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul gives us an example of how he managed his memories, managed them and stewarded them so that he could be all that God intended him to be. Now, in Paul's situation, the memories that caused him a sense of hindrance were not bad memories. Matter of fact, they were the exact opposite. They were prideful memories. They were memories of being a Hebrew's Hebrew, a child of Benjamin, a Pharisee, all the heritage of his family invested into him to hold his head high, to wear the fancy Jewish clothes of the day, and to look down his nose at everyone else, including other Jews that weren't quite like him. That was Saul, Paul. And Paul says here, those are memories that I want to forget. Those are memories that I choose to drop in the field like rubbish. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. After he has described his heritage, maybe let's back up and get a taste of that. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the people of Israel and specifically the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew born of Hebrews, and as to the law, my training was as a Pharisee, and as to zeal, I was a very persecutor of the church, and to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And Paul says that those are all memories that he wants to forget. Because they were memories that hindered him from seeking the Lord with all his heart. They are memories that got in the way of God's best for his future and his life. And so he says in verse 7, Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard now as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things. I regard them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from a law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings by becoming like him in his death that somehow I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or have already reached these goals, but I continue to press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I don't even consider that I've made it my own. But this one thing I do, and in my Bible I have this underlined, circled, and colored. It says, this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind I strain forward to what lies ahead. Paul calls us to a mindset of stewarding our memories. Now, when he says forgetting, it's not like those of us who may misplace our keys and wonder where they are. That's not the kind of forgetting he's talking about. It's not the kind of forgetting that over time you, you don't remember what your friends, as they tell a story that you were a part of, and you go, I don't even know if I was there. You know, that's not the kind of forgetting he's talking about. He's talking about an intentional placing of disempowerment to memories that cause us harm, to memories that interfere 
in God's best in our life. And whether those memories are memories of pride, like Paul's were, or they are memories of pain, regardless, if the results of those memories hinder us from moving forward in the call of Christ Jesus, then we need to forget them. And in Paul's situation here, again, because he just told us about them, and he says he forgot them. Okay, so what it means is that it's not that he doesn't remember them. It's that he no longer gives them power. He no longer replays those as a basis of how he learns and what he believes. Instead, as he meditates, as he ruminates, as he thinks about his life, he doesn't play those replays over and over again. How many of you remember records? Tell you how old you are, okay? Some of you may still have them and use them. You know what happens when occasionally you hit that record and it skips, right? And it goes over and over again. Some of us are doing that with memories that are painful for ourselves. We ruminate on things that hurt us, and those pains get inflated. They become more powerful. And Paul says here, we need to be stewards in Jesus Christ of the kind of memories, the kinds of thoughts that are going to project us forward in growth and in health and in life. And the more we play memories that hinder us and cause us to grow in bitterness or, or insecurities or whatever consequences that are not the fullness of Christ, we're doing ourselves great harm. And he says we have an ability to choose what we will remember. And in choosing memories that will be beneficial to us, we become different people as we move forward. When I think about my dad, um, I have an incredible number of memories. Um, and there are, there are painful memories that I, I try not to bring up and remember. There are mistakes that my dad made that um, some of perhaps my siblings remember, and it still causes them to be hindered somewhat. But I choose not to remember those things. Instead, I choose to remember so many other memories that still build faith and encouragement in me. I want to share a few of those with you. One of my first earliest memories as a kid is my dad was a carpenter, and uh, whenever he would come home from work, we had a long gravel driveway, and you could hear the tires on the gravel and that crunch. And no matter where we were playing, because mom didn't want us in the house when she was cooking. And get out of the house. Go do something, you know. And we'd hear that crunch of tires on the gravel. And we'd all come running. And we'd all come running because my dad had a, um, a habit. And that was in his big metal lunchbox that would hold his thermos and his food for the day. Uh, he would always either save something from lunch or stop somewhere on the way home. So he'd have something to give us when he got out of the truck. And so we'd come running. What do you got for us, Dad? And he'd say, what are you talking about? It's just my lunchbox. Well, you always got something for us. Come on, Dad, come on. And he'd open it up, and he'd say, there's nothing in my lunchbox. Here's my thermos. Here's my Bible. Because one of the things that my dad always carried in his lunchbox was a little paperback Bible. Now, I don't know that he intentionally wanted to plant that seed in our minds. But it got planted. That for the Word of God for my dad was a normal thing. 
It wasn't something he pulled off a shelf for Sundays or for a Bible study. It was with him all the time. He'd stop for coffee, and he'd pull out his little Bible, and he'd read his Bible there at work. And so I want to remember that for my dad, the Bible was essential normal. As a matter of fact, one time I was telling my mom a memory I had of, about my dad and his Bible is that at night before we would go to bed, he would take this big family Bible off the coffee table and he'd set me in his lap and he'd say, okay, let's see how you're doing in your reading. And he would point at words and I would sound them out and we would read. My mom told me later, you know, when he was doing that, he was learning how to read. My dad went to school for one year and my grandfather thought, if you can read and cipher what you can pick up in one year, then you need to go to work and not go to school anymore. So my dad, um, they talked of him being double promoted within one year, but that's all the formal schooling that he had. So I discovered from my mom that dad had been not a very good reader and at best just a few words. And when I was learning to read, he was learning to read as we shared the word of God together. So for my dad, the Word of God was a critical part of his life. Now, he didn't always have the right interpretations of the Word, but he loved the Word. I remember coming home from college, and we had studied the book of Romans, and I quoted to my dad, Dad, isn't it great that all things work together for good uh, for us as Christians? And, And he said, no, 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 read what it says. And I'd read it, and he'd say, it says, for those who are called... He said, things work out for good for preachers and missionaries. And he believed that. And we had this discussion, heated of sorts, until he finally realized that all of us are called, not just the preacher. And so it was fascinating to know that even my dad could learn and he could grow and to be a part of that. I learned from my dad that Life is not fair, but you should always keep your word. And I learned it through a tough lesson. Uh, One day at school, um, and it was one of those years before we went to school, Dad would sit us all down and he would remind us, if you get the paddle at school, you're going to get the belt at home. Anybody ever hear anything like that? Yeah, there's a few of us old enough around to remember that. And so somebody pulled the fire alarm at our school and there was a pretty little red-headed girl, Debbie, who, who said that she saw me pull the fire alarm. And so if you have a choice, do you believe this cute little red-headed girl or little Otis Buchan? You know, the girl wins out every, every time. I, I'm, I'm toasted, right? And so uh, I got the paddle for pulling the fire alarm. They called the fire chief in, and he came and read me the riot act and told me I had broken a federal law and I could be imprisoned. And, and everybody that could just came down on top of my head, and I went at home. And, and, and my dad said, okay, we got to take care of business. And I said, but, Dad, I didn't pull the alarm. And he said, did you get the paddle at school? Yes, then you're getting the belt at home, you know, bend over. And he gave me some swats with the belt. And about a month later, Debbie started feeling kind of guilty. And she goes into the office, and she's crying, and she's saying, Junior Buchan didn't pull the alarm. I did. (laughs) 
And so that triggered an amazing thing I had never seen before. Principal called me in, and she had milk and cookies for me in the principal's office. Wow! The fire chief came, and he gave me a little hat and a little pen, and, and uh, I got my picture taken with the, f- the fire chief on a fire engine. It was amazing. And I got home and told my mom and dad what had happened, and the phone rang while we were eating dinner. It's the principal. She's talking to my mom, and my mom was saying, Oh, I knew he didn't do it. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. She hung up. She said, Oh, and she came and hugged me, gave me a kiss, and she said, The principal just called, and she said, You didn't do it. I'm so glad. And my dad is sitting there just eating dinner. Like nothing's ever happened. I mean, it's a big party. I've been, you know, celebrated for not doing this thing I had been falsely accused of. And so I made the mistake by looking at my dad and saying, well. (laughs) And he looked around and he said, well, what? And I said, well, the principal apologized and the fire chief apologized and mom apologized. Well, just eating away. And he says, oh, you think I should apologize? And he says, listen, there's something you got to learn. The world we live in is never going to be a fair world. But you can always count on your old man to tell you the truth and to do what he said. And he went back to eating. <laughs> he was a tough guy. But it was a terribly important lesson. As much as we all want to be comforted and and given the warm fuzzies, the world that we live in is not always a warm, fuzzy world. And I'm glad my dad taught me that. I don't know much about what happened to her. (laughs) I don't know what happened to her. But I learned from my dad, life is not fair, but keep your word, your dad does. Another time... My dad, as I said, was a carpenter. He would go to work and, and he would do side jobs. And on side jobs, he would take uh, me along on occasion uh, to help clean up his mess. That was my job. He would make the mess and I would clean it up. And so I was his laborer and he'd give me a few dollars for helping. But I remember that he had this old uh, wood framing level that had these little plastic inserts with the tubes with the little bubble in them, you know, and it was a really old one. And every so often when he'd stop to get his coffee, he would look at those little plastic deals and he would unscrew them and line them up to the lines that were there and tighten them up again. And he called that truing his level. And he said, it's very important whenever you're doing anything, son, that your tools are true because you can think you're doing the right thing. And if you're tools aren't true, you're going to be in a mess. And I kind of went, yeah, okay. Until a number of years later, I'm in Bible college, and I'm actually working for a carpenter as a laborer, and he sets me up at this uh, spec house that he was building, and in the house had brought in a whole bunch of, of cut new cypress wood. There had been this huge tree on this lot, and the owner 
of that who he was building the house for had the tree cut and milled and brought because he wanted to use it as uh, paneling in the great room of this house. And so my boss said, listen, I've got business in town. All of that cypress wood has to be cut to the same lengths. And he cut a piece of wood, and he gave me the piece of wood. And he said, this will be your pattern. Cut everything this length, and you'll be fine. I'll be back in a few hours. And he left. And so I took the piece of wood, and I laid it on a piece of wood, and I marked it. I tossed it aside. I cut it. And then I took the one that I had just cut, and I laid it on the next piece of wood. And I marked it, and I cut it, and I laid it aside. And I did that all day long. Little did I know that the width of a blade of a saw on every single cut made that wood longer and longer. And none of those pieces of wood were the same length at the end of the day. But I didn't pay attention to my tool. And as soon as my boss came in and yelled at me for what I had done, I heard the voice of my dad saying, make sure your tools are true. The best tool that we have is the Word of God. And as long as we continue to line up to the Word of God, we're in a safe zone. We dare not forget that, that we are people of the book. Fourth lesson is that I learned that things may not be what you think they are from my dad. My dad, as I said, was not a warm fuzzy. He had never said, I love you. Instead, his way was to ask, do you need anything? You know, even when I was an adult, if you're gone to visit him and getting ready to leave, he didn't say, well, I missed you guys. I love you much. He'd simply say, you need anything? And by that, he'd slip you a 20 or whatever. And, and his love language was to make sure that your needs were met. It wasn't to be words of kindness or anything like that. It just wasn't in him. And so he was a simple guy. He drove an old Ford pickup truck. And I remember that on occasion he would take me and my brothers to school in the truck. My youngest brother, who was six years younger than me, would never let dad drop him off at the school because he was embarrassed of this beat-up, dirty truck and my dad in his overalls. He wore those blue and white striped coveralls, you know, kind of like an engineer type deal, and uh, worked hard. But when he dropped me off, I'd say, take me as close to the door as possible. I could care less what I, vehicle I was driving in. I just didn't want to walk as far. <laughs> but there came a time when my youngest son and my dad had a little bit of a falling out. And I remember walking with my dad at his retirement home in in uh, Florida, and he said, what's up with your brother? So what do you mean? He goes, he's got all crazy on me. And what had happened was my brother had told my mom, I'm not sure that dad really loves us at all. I've never heard him say I love you. And so I'm trying to talk to my dad and say, dad, well, you know, He's a little extra sensitive. He's more like mom than he is like you, and I'm trying to be a peacemaker. And, and, and then I tried to kind of make a point, a point that, in fact, I was revealing my disappointment with my dad. And I said, Dad, you know, it's, you were always too busy to do the kinds of things that we really wanted you to, 
And he said, like what? I said, well, you know, I was, I was in theater and drama, and you never came to a play that I was in. I played football in high school. You never came to a game that I was in. And my dad said, well, well, of course not. I didn't want to embarrass you. I went, what? He says, you know, John Paul always had me drop you guys off away from the school because I didn't have as nice a clothes or a nice a vehicle as all of your friends at school did. And so I never came to that stuff because I wanted to make sure I didn't embarrass you. There are times I came outside and listened from afar. I said, really? And I said, Dad, it it, it would be helpful if maybe you said, I love you. It would be helpful. And I said, okay, I think I'll try. And from that point on, whenever I called my dad, and it was a habit of mine on long trips, which I have every week, to call dad partly to stay awake while I'm driving. And he would always end those phone calls with, uh, remember I love you. And every time he would say that, I was surprised by tearing up. I didn't realize how much I had missed not hearing my dad say, I love you as a kid. And that he learned that he caught up with that. Things may not be what you think they are. We make judgment calls on how other people act. And we need to be very careful. Because communication is a miracle. Let me say that again. Communication is a miracle. Inside of this biological machinery... The Lord placed this spirit being who through my life has this computer that has collected code that we call language. And that code includes body language, it includes emotion, it includes all kinds of things. And whenever we want to communicate, that spirit guy runs back into the archives and says, oh, this is what you want to communicate, try this. And then I mimic that. I throw that out in the air. And I hope that the little guy with your background and your database has some similar experiences. And you run back and you get that file and you go, oh, I think he means this. It's a miracle that it ever works. Because none of us learn that language in the same place. None of us learned it in the exact same culture. None of us are perfect with that. And so, you know, it's, it's like trying to, to merge, you know, um, different kinds of computer code co- talking to each other that wasn't written by the same language. And yet we do that all the time with each other. I learned from my dad is that I need to slow down in communications. And whenever communication is awkward or painful, to stop and to ask questions. Did you mean this by what you said or didn't say? Because I found out two things happen when I do that. One is sometimes people are jarred that I actually ask for understanding, and they say, you know, I did mean that and I shouldn't have. I'm sorry. And they apologize long before I get wounded. That's really good news. Or sometimes, which is probably more often the case, they clarify what they meant, and I went, oh, 
Okay, well, I'm glad because I, I thought I would have misunderstood you. Communication is a miracle. We need to work on that. My final story about a memory that I want to, re- to, to continue to replay to affect my better future. Years ago, back in the uh, early 80s, late 70s, I pastored a church in Barrington, Illinois. And uh, one Father's Day, I told the story about my dad's lunchbox and how it planted that seed of a, a love for and a normalcy of the Word of God. And after the service, a young man who had accepted Christ about a year earlier, his name was Joe, he came up and he said, did they call your dad Buck? And I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, they did. Did he work for Demucci Home Builders as a framing supervisor? I said, I don't know what his job was, but he did work for Demucci. He says, you know, when I got into the trades, your dad was my foreman. We called him Preacher Buck. I went, really, why did you call him? Was he always preaching or something? He said, no, no, no. But every time at break, he'd sit down with that Bible And we would typically, as a group, make fun of him. But when any one of us were hurting, we would find a way to go by ourselves and talk to Buck because he would coach us with wiser things and point us toward answers. I went, wow, thanks, Joe. He goes, no, no, I'm not finished. He says, remember that day I came to church? I said, yeah, it was was an amazing day when you came to faith. He said, I, I, I said, I watched you and you were just anxious. And when I gave that opportunity to decide to follow Christ, you came running down the aisle. And, and I always thought, what did I say that God used to get a hold of you? And he laughed and he said, you didn't say anything. He said, the night before I was really depressed, I was really discouraged. I was ready to end it all. And... Um, I decided that I would go fishing and do the things that I like to do before it's over. And so I went out in the Fox River. I brought some pot, some beer, and my lunchbox. And when I reached for my lunchbox, I had a flashback of your dad. That there was an old carpenter who had answers, and it was in his lunchbox. And I looked up, and the spire of your church was in the horizon and something said you need to go there so the next day i came here to church and you were preaching and i committed my life to christ i've been here ever since that became an incredible prize to me in my life it says to me that when we are faithful as my dad was that we don't even know the end results of those seeds we don't know how god's going to use them It's just up up to us to be faithful with him. Live that life. Trust the Lord. And as a result of it, who knows what God might do with that faithfulness. Bow your heads with me. All of us have memories that will hinder us. Let me say that again. All of us have memories that will hinder us. Our point is not to say whether they are valid or invalid. Our point is to say, do I want to continue giving them power? Do I want them to continue hindering me?
Another truth, all of us have memories that encourage us, that can strengthen us. Which ones are you choosing to put on your favorite playlist? When the Apostle Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on to that fullness in Jesus. Next chapter, he says, think about these things, whatever is good, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is beautiful. Think about these things. He's basically saying that you and I have the ability to steward for our benefit and for the kingdom's benefit what we choose to remember. When there are memories that hinder us from God's best, we need to take them in prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, this is getting in the way of your best in my life. Help me to put that into some precious forsaken bottom of a hole somewhere so that I only pull them out when necessary and when your Holy Spirit wants me to. And Lord, what are things that I should be remembering of your word? What should I be remembering of kindnesses that were done to me? What should I be remembering of how much you've forgiven me of? Lord, help me turn the volume and the impact of those in my life. Dear Lord, we come to you today on a Father's Day. Um, All of us have a flood of different kinds of histories. Some that are humorous and cause us to laugh and and, and, and smile, others that we, we want to avoid because they are so painful. Lord, I thank you that our memories of who you are are the most important memories. Our knowledge of your wonder and your glory and your plan and your provision, those are the things that are foundational to lives that have joy, to lives that have purpose, to lives that become worth living and overflow. Uh, and blessings in us and through us to others. So, Lord, today we want to join with the Apostle Paul. And, Lord, we want to ask you to help us to be good stewards, like we are stewards of finances and we are stewards of things and we are stewards of relationships. Lord, help us to be stewards of memories that affect us more powerfully than anyone else. Help us to cast our cares on you because you care. In Jesus' name. While your heads are bowed, I want to ask just a couple of quick questions. Um, I don't know if all of you here are at that place where you can say, I know that I know I am trusting Jesus Christ. He is my Lord and Savior. Um, My first hunch is that looking around here, that that is probably true of most of us. But there may be someone who's here for a special occasion of Father's Day who's reminded that you have yet to commit your life wholly to Jesus. You have yet to say, forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me. Free me from all of the junk and crud of a life without you. I want to serve you with my whole heart. You have shown me your great love. And what a good, good father you are. If that's you, would you slip up a hand quickly? I just want to pray with you that today you meet with the Lord and have a whole new trajectory, a whole new direction, dimension of your life. Is there anyone like that? 
just slip up a hand quickly and says, I need Jesus. Okay. Second question is, I'm not even going to ask our hands raised because everyone should raise their hand. How many of us have a problematic issue of our past? Uh, you know, an issue that uh, causes us an ability to stumble. It may be a prideful issue of your background or history like Paul's. It may be someone who abused you or some leader who didn't do what they should have done or, or didn't steward their responsibilities and, and you suffered the consequences of it. There may be a business dealing that went wrong and, and that other person, you thought for sure they would treat you right and they didn't and you are still carrying that bitterness. I'm here today to say that that doesn't have to continue that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can let those things go. We can turn down the volume on them so that we can hear the voice of the Lord more clearly again. We can set them back and we can say with Paul, forgetting that thing, I press on to better things. Forgetting that thing, I press on to holy things. Forgetting that thing, I press on to a walk with the creator of of the universe. Father, right now, we just ask you that we can take those things and lay them at the foot of the cross. Would you all stand with me? And if you have a specific issue that has been haunting you, and this morning you want to say to the Lord, Lord, I want to lay this thing down. I purposely lay it down today. Would you step out? Let's gather together here in the front and say... There's some things I need to lay down. I need God's Spirit's strength to help me lay down. We're not going to ask you to tell anybody what they are. We just want to be with you and to pray with you. Amen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we Forgive our debtors, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever, Lord. The glory is yours. We give it to you. We ask you, Lord, to share your glory with us. Lord, I pray for these who stepped out and said, I sense the Holy Spirit saying, I can... I can leave this thing at the cross. I can displace it from the burden it has been. And Lord, I may have to do it over and over again, but I mark it today saying, Lord, this is no longer something that controls, defines, or burdens me. My eyes are on Jesus. My memories are on what you say of me. You call me child. You call me the very uh, inheritance of, of, of the mighty, mighty. You call me the apple of your eye. You look into my life, Lord, with, 
with hope and with a plan and with great love. And so, Lord, I receive that from you today. I receive that in Jesus' name. I ask you, Lord, where I need power to forgive others, that, Lord, you give me that power to see them as you saw me when I was in rebellion against you. Lord, that forgiveness is not something of my strength. It's only going to be from your strength in me, Lord. And Lord, those places where it may be arrogance, it may be voices of saying, you shouldn't put up with other people. You're better than that. For us to humble ourselves and to say, Lord, we stand even at the foot of the cross, regardless of of race or status or circumstances or family background or any uh, originations or anything like that, Lord. You see us as holy before the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for that. We honor you, Lord, for that. We give you, Lord, this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 Bless Father's Day to you all. I will see you July 8th, my next time coming up.